woman up is why. Hi, are we starting with this? Have a penis, but you know, men they they upset. Uh, they jealous of women anyways because their coochies fell out. Um, <laughs> what? Yeah. What? See, everybody starts out as female. All humans start out as female, and then a chromosome kicks in, and your coochie fall out. That's why men have nipples. Okay. And so you guys are like, this is a fact. Okay. YouTube video. And I've seen it in the encyclopedia. All right. And we all have little penises, and that's yours just. Uh Your little penis. Yeah. I mean, if you ever look at. A clitoris. Look at a penis. That is nothing but a vagina that fell out. (laughs) What? So the bigger your penis, the bigger your vagina was. Yeah, yeah. The testicles is the ovaries. The sac is the uterus. The shaft is the vaginal canal, and the tip is the clitoris. Your coochie fell out, sir. <laughs> That's why some men act like bitches. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll have to play that again for more people when they tune in. Um, yeah. This is the Cannabis Closet with Canna Queen and MJ. And hi, everybody who is joining us. Um, Ooh, our guests are, are in our queue, and we got people oh. joining us. Hey, Sia, um, I can't. My contacts are so like I can contacts see, like, are partially. So, like are she had to dig them out of the archives. So, um, so before we start, we're gonna jump right into our show today. So go get your friends, get them here now because this show is gonna be off the hook. Just, yeah, we're gonna um, uh, we're gonna go ahead and talk about the trigger warnings. Uh, yeah, but, but first, before, before we get into our show, before we get into our show, it is um, it is um, National Epilepsy Awareness Month, and so. Um, in, in honor of that, um, we are going to um, share a fact, some facts about epilepsy um, on every show from here on out. So I wanted to do that first because I didn't want to forget about it. And so, yes, Purple Hearts, thank you very much for that. Let me pull this up real quick. Um, our good friend, Kevin Nixon is um, the person who shares a lot of this information with us. Um, And um, he is an advocate for epilepsy awareness. He has epilepsy. Uh, He will be joining us uh, throughout the month to give us some of these facts as well and to give us a little background uh, on him and how cannabis can help um, with the symptoms of epilepsy. So um, for the fact today, for the epilepsy awareness fact today, epilepsy is the most common chronic brain disease and affects people of all ages. More than 50 million people worldwide have epilepsy. Nearly 80% of them live in low and middle income countries. So that's our fun, our fun fact, our epilepsy fact for the day that came, that comes from the WHO. Um, and again, we're going to have more, um, more actually conversational um, facts about epilepsy this month uh, in the future shows. So Kevin's going to come on and, and have those conversations with us. We're super excited about that. Throughout the month. So um, anyone else that wants to experience or share their experience um, of using cannabis and maybe how you have seen it make a difference in a patient with seizures or epilepsy, um, give us a shout. Have them give us a shout. Tune in. Have them tune in to us or um, catch up with us later. We'd love to talk to them. And um, we always do our follow up shows on Wednesdays. Um, 
And yeah, so here's our email there, cannabiscloset420 at gmail.com. Um, always uh, feel free to hit us up there with any questions, comments, and love. And uh, if you want to catch us live, we have a Discord. Um, I don't know, we sure. do usually, yeah, usually we're there in the mornings hanging out. Uh, it's Queen and no I. Makeup. No makeup. Um, we either work out, hang out, uh, smoke up, uh, have coffee, talk. All the above. Um, we do plan for the day. We do nothing at all. Um, it, just, it really just depends on the day and uh, when you catch us. So um, we try to motivate each other to um, get shit done. So that's really why we uh, jump on and uh, start focusing in our tasks for the day. So that's why uh, we've, we've primarily been in there. So, um, so join yeah, us in a trigger warning up. <laughs> oh, yes. I, I, you know, and I type so fast and I did not edit. So it's a YW. Um, and then uh, really that's supposed to be a TW. But this is your warning, YW. This is your warning. Your warning. <laughs> um, we're going to be talking about some some topics that are um, a little sensitive. They might make you blush a little bit. We're going to be talking about some topics that are sensitive in other ways. Um, we were looking, we were just talking about this list of things that we could talk about throughout this show and it went from like fun. Oh, this sounds fun. This is way fun to very traumatic in like an instance. So, so we want to talk about all of those things today. And women's reproductive health. So, uh, so when you're talking about fun to traumatic, um, women's reproductive health is that header. And um, but there are there's some awesome parts about being a woman. Um, Mm -hmm. and there's some fun facts. We, we read a fun fact earlier that I had to go Google and I did uh, confirm the fact. Uh, you want to um, bring our guests in to, before we share yeah. the facts so they can contribute. So we have two guests today. We have um, Keisha King and Casey Ballou. Um, thanks. Yeah. You're bringing them both in. Perfect. Hi, ladies. Hi. Hi there. How are you? Living the dream. Living the dream. <laughs> living the dream. I love it. Always. That's why I always say that a lot too. I'm like, living the dream. It's getting there. <laughs> it's an amazing life, ladies. I have to say. I mean, just Casey Ballou with um Cannabaloo. So um you're gonna be off doing a, a cooking show right after this. I am, yes. We do that... weekly uh, in-person cooking classes at my shop. And then twice a week, I do an online cooking class for our little uh, cooking membership that I run. Nice. So um, Casey cooks with cannabis, which is why she's here today. Part of why she's here today. She's brilliant. Um, but also, Casey, why else are you here today? So I am also here because I am expecting. I'm about four months along right now. Um, Congratulations. And thank you. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. I thought what a cool topic to address because so many people do have so many questions, especially for women um, during pregnancy who use cannabis. Um, with my daughter and with this pregnancy, um, I've been pretty open about my cannabis use because I am one of those lucky folks who get like super sick, you know, not like the casual, not feeling good like real sick. Um, for my daughter's pregnancy, it was all nine months and then six weeks after. Um, and cannabis was the only reason I could eat, could get out of bed. I still worked 40 hours a week. So there was no time to just like, let's just chill out. Let's take the day. Um, so it really has saved my, it saved my soul in a lot of ways, especially during my pregnancies, because they do, they just really kick your butt. 
So I am excited to be here. Thanks for having me on tonight. Thanks Thank you. Thanks us. for coming on. Um, I know a lot of individuals um, are are concerned about using cannabis um, during pregnancy. So I definitely want to touch on that topic um, before you have to rush off. Sure. With us. And then we also have Keisha King. Keisha, um, can you introduce yourself and talk about your um, doula services? Yeah. So my name is Keisha King. Um, I am a full spectrum doula. That means I work with families who are trying to get pregnant, who are pregnant, um, and are, are seeking, um, either, uh, physical education or emotional support, um, throughout the process of the pregnancy and then also labor support. So being there at the labor, helping, um, the parents, you know, go through labor pains, figure out how to be comfortable, um, as well as like how to communicate with healthcare staff and um, being aware of like what different terminologies mean and educating them so that they can make, um, you know, uh, educated, educated decisions. Um, right. So that's a lot of what I do as a doula. Um, and then I also advocate for uh, black birthing families um, within my community because of the disparities that exist racially um, between black birthers and in comparison to really any other race um, mm -hmm. in America. So that's a little bit about me. I think that's really important too, because there's a lot of um, myth behind a black woman's strength and level of pain tolerance, etc. cetera, um, that um, we need to, you know, dispose of those myths, get to the truth and treat people with respect. But sometimes it takes somebody who is, um, ha has experience, has experience in what you have experience in to understand yes. um, what you need. So, um, thank you both ladies for being here. Um, MJ has, and I do it every time. MJ has an article, <laughs> um, that we're going to start the show with. And like we said, it's some of it's going to be like fun topics and some of it's going to get right into the nitty gritty. So prepare yourselves, listeners, <laughs> and go get all of your friends and your um, your brothers, your sisters, your your nieces, your nephews. Get, get everybody in here because this is an important conversation. I think everybody needs to have the information. It, it begins, you know, this is a, this is an early conversation to start for us as females. I mean, as soon as we hit puberty and start our menses, um, you know, we're in it. This is reproduction health leading up to whether we are going to have children, whether that discussion of whether we want children. Um, and then as we are uh, peeking into our sexual uh, you, you uh, awakenings, um, why women aren't allowed to or uh, why it's such a taboo for women to be sexual to, uh, you know, and we that goes way back to um, repression by men because they didn't understand us. They didn't understand. Well, they understood enough that they understood our power. And so uh, therefore, that's when all of the repression started uh, for us as women. And um, so this article, it's not really an article. Um, <clears throat> A physician that I know of um, up in Montana, she is a uh, very women uh, holistic centric and uh, she did a podcast and it was uh, entitled Female Orgasm and Its Importance in Civilization. Mm -hmm. And uh, she just goes into one, she really does concentrate on Black Lives Matter and um, the importance of understanding our history and where um, 
you know, civilization started and for reals. And the why, um, again, why these oppressions happen to um, us as women, as uh, people of color, um, and, you know, kind of, again, just kind of murmur, murmur goes down that line of <clears throat> um, why we've been silenced and why it's important for uh, a females to have an orgasm exactly. and it really yeah. <laughs> so in this environment i'm going to say for for the record this environment's sustainability is dependent on the female orgasm in this house everything gets burned to the ground if it doesn't happen <laughs> i will burn it down i'll burn it down and that is just a primal example yeah <laughs> Yes. Ladies, your comments, uh, your thoughts, um, uh, initial, you know. Is everybody, listen, this is a very personal question <laughs> that not everybody has to answer, but I feel like everybody on the panel here is pretty open, um, so like sexually open to experiences and things. Um, so uh, the commenters, if you want to comment, uh has everybody had an orgasm? Does everybody had that experience? Thank I've definitely, you, yeah. I mean, clearly. It was a little bit later in life when I really, 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 you know, where I was like, oh. <laughs> what is that? All right, check. <laughs> this is the pedestal this belongs on right here. <laughs> I apparently hung out with some feisty folks. I remember when I was younger, I hung out with the group of girls in my neighborhood and one of the girls was older and she had told us that she was already having sex. And um, I learned from her, she talked, talked me and her little sister through it, how to masturbate. And so I was like, early on, this is, this is what I like. I like it. <laughs> Yeah, and it blows my mind that some women have never experienced this, but I think it's because there is a piece of repression there. There's um, there's a misunderstanding about how our bodies work. And then we don't, you know, until recently, I would say we don't really get to talk publicly about this kind of stuff because then we're sluts. Right. Well, call call me what you want. Call me. OK. <laughs> I do have another little said, right? <laughs> um, fun fact to go along with that, this part of the discussion, and it, we we talked about it maybe being a few, whole another future uh, uh, show, um, but there apparently are up to uh, twenty six different types of orgasm. We definitely need to do a whole show on this because <laughs> I feel like I might be up to like three, and so. I <laughs> Possibly three. There are three places a woman orgasm can be experienced. Right. Let's talk about that. That's simple. Oh, do we want me to go into it? Oh, okay. Clitoral. We all know that one. Yes. Um, vaginal urethral gland and cervical. Yep. Hmm. Okay. That's fair. That's but then, but then within those three, there are 26 possibilities. Is that what they're saying? Yep. 
Yep. Is this okay? So if, if you're a friends watcher where Monica and um, what's her face, Rachel are, she's like, they're drawing the diagram for, I think Chandler and they're like, okay. And they have it one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And, and Monica's going one, this is what you touch, you know, one, one, two, one, two, three. And oh, she's like, like a, like, a she's like where where to touch me to get me going, you know? And then she's like, poor. I'm poor. like a Game Boy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Do they still make Game Boys? How old am I? Jesus Christ. Make what? Game Boys. I said, I said I'm like a Game Boy. He's like, yes, I think they do still make them. It's just called something else or the next whatever. I don't I didn't so, follow those. Anyways, Gen Z. I My apologies. But I would definitely say that orgasms, the female orgasm is very important for health um, for several different reasons. Obviously, physically, because there's that release, you know, there's that release of hormones, endorphins um, that really just is, you know, able to balance you out um, and kind of soothe you. But also, you know, I would also say that it's, it's very important too to experience because it is you know, your, your muscles are contracting. So it's almost like working out mm -hmm. um, that, those muscles in that area. And so I definitely can say, like, I always tell the people that I'm working with, the families that I'm working with, the ladies that I'm working with that, you know, even if they're not in a situation where they really want to have like penetrating sex, like definitely clitoral stimulation is always going to be the best route to go um, because of the endorphin release, because of the muscles um, that are engaged in, and, and like I said, it's just, it's overall healthier for the body. So, right. um, yeah. And it helped, it's a great stress reliever too. And it bonds you with your partner. So yeah, overall, and if you don't do it with a partner, it's still great to do. It bonds you with yourself. Self-love moment. Yeah. Self-love moment. You're bonding with yourself. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pro female orgasm. Um, and I, I also, you know, am an enjoyer as well. So yeah. Um, so <laughs> I think there's a lot of spirituality to it too that really links you. You know, there's a lot, I, I guess, spirituality, I would call it, that is linked to the female orgasm too, like with linking you mm -hmm. to your partner. Because um, mm -hmm. sex is a spiritual experience, you know? And so to get you to that level, it really like, I think it's kind of like a, a chakra thing. It really shows that you're in line, that there's no physical blocks there too. Some people I think mm -hmm. have a difficulty orgasming because of maybe past traumas. Um, mm -hmm. And so once they get past that, it really does become a whole nother level of experience. You know, that release is like linked to all parts. It's like, it really helps to align you out. And it's like that core, you know, it's your core. So it's important to get in touch with that. Physically, mm -hmm. literally. <laughs> yes. And not only trauma, but even um, just uh, some of the issues that women experience uh, just physically, fibroids. Um, uh, I've, uh, what was, dyspareunia, pain with sex. So, uh, you know, different, uh, just it's not necessarily um, a mental block. There is physically things going on that um, we can still prepare ourselves you know, for women that have uh, sexual health issues. Um, you're not uh, without help. You know, there are, you're not alone. And mm -hmm. so I think that that's why it's important for us to discuss this and talk about it and, and make it uh, you know, more common that um, we're all allowed to have a fucking orgasm. Um, yeah. and <laughs> we're actually very sexual beings, both male and female. And it's really, um, sad to see either, either of us, uh, or, and I'm not just, I'm just talking in general, 
um, terms of gender. I'm, I'm not limiting us here by any means, but, um, but when we talk about how women are often suppressed in um, their sexual expression, um, we are sexual beings. Like we, we absolutely are. Um, and to suppress that can cause a whole laundry list of health issues um, for us. A lot of women experience health issues that don't seem like they're connected to our reproductive process or our, um, our, sexu- our, our sexuality, our sexual um, expression, but they are, but they are. Because if we don't, like you said, if we don't have that release, then that can cause all kinds of other things. Um, uh, I want to kind of get into um, talking about using cannabis. Um, just kind of jump ahead uh, when you're experiencing pregnancy while you're breastfeeding, etc. Um, because I know that there are a lot of women out there who are kind of afraid to go that route because you know women care about their children, of course, and. Um, their own health. And so, and then also there's, I mean, aside from your health, there's, there could also be problems with that um, outside of that external problems with using cannabis while you're well, pregnant. Planning for pregnancy. So we go from right. having that orgasm. We want to have, you know, we know yeah. we want children. We're going to incorporate. <laughs> but um, I know Casey has a limited amount of time with us. So I wanted to, um, and, and since you are the cook on the show as well, and are, are going through this experience a second time in your life, I just wanted to get your take on kind of, um, how to ease into it. Uh, what are the options? Is THC the only option? Is THC an option at all? Um, and, 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 you know, what, what, what is your opinion on, on the best way to move forward if you intend to utilize cannabis? Sure. I think that one thing that I can say is a lot different with this pregnancy than with my last, um, is that I, I, sorry. Um, Got my kiddos in there now. Um, No, but with this pregnancy, I really have done more edibles than smoking. I think one thing that I've really just been way more in touch with with this last few years are my lung health just in general. Um, So it has been a much different experience. I would say since I got since I found out I was pregnant, I really transitioned over to using uh, one to one oil that I make. So it has CBD, THC, it's full spectrum. Sometimes I put some CBG in there. Um, and so I'm just exploring a lot more options for myself where it's maybe not as psychoactive as just my straight, super strong THC edibles were. Um, so I've gone down to a much lower dose just because I feel like also I have, it's interesting during this pregnancy, I've definitely felt THC a lot harder and I know it could be the hormones among a lot of other things. Um, but I haven't like had the desire to smoke specifically as much during this pregnancy, which is interesting. It really hasn't been a lifestyle change or anything. It's just seeing how differently my body's taking things in. And that could also be because I have been using so much of the one-to-one topically internally, you know, Um, I just had the best results from that. And I think it comes down to the best mix of what it is for each person, Um, especially because with edibles, it is a different effect on the body, um, on the baby, because you are taking in something differently than just through the lung inhalation. Um, So I, you know, I have done my, I wish I could say a lot of research. There's just so little research to do on the topic, you know, because people are so, um, hesitant. That's one thing mm-hmm. as a, as a woman who's pregnant, there's still a lot of, um, 
I hate to say like hate towards it, but yeah, there's a lot no, of people it you should not be using cannabis while you're pregnant. And I, I understand that too, because there's so many unanswered questions, but we have definitely faced backlash. It's nice to have the medical card to feel at least a little bit more, but that doesn't really matter whenever it comes down to a DFS visit or something like that, right. you know, because as a parent who's used cannabis, you do risk that still your family health and wealth and safety. Um, so that's always bottom line, top priority. But then I have to look at my health and my mental health as well. And what's really going to be um, best for my body. As far as I know, during my first pregnancy, um, I was prescribed pretty heavy um, like benzos, alprazolam. Um, and they told me, oh, it's totally fine to keep taking your Xanax. That's just fine. Just keep on regulating with that. But that's not something that is something I felt a lot less comfortable with than using cannabis. And I've actually I quit using the prescription Xanax during that pregnancy and never really had to go back to it because it was something that. In finding how to manage my health, especially my mental health, because I've dealt with anxiety and depression since I was God, as long as I can remember a kid, yeah. honestly, um, relatable, yeah, you know, it's, it's something that is so many women deal with and yeah. it's not something that we can address so openly as we could now. You know, it was very different when I first started taking um, prescription medications at a pretty young age, you know, 15, 16, I was first prescribed Xanax. So it's definitely been a roller coaster in that aspect because you are taught all these things growing up, you know, right. to trust what you hear. Don't ask questions. Just go with the flow. Take your prescriptions. Right. Um, and then to get into the natural health field, especially now, you know, it's been six years since I had my first daughter. So Missouri has legalized cannabis. We've gotten all of these really cool um, steps forward. But then you look at the conversation about reproductive health and it's still like, oh, whoa, whoa. We yeah. don't have any right. for that. It's just uh, it's crazy to see how far we've come with some things, but there's still so many unanswered questions and there's so many pregnant women who could benefit from using something with natural health. What did your practitioner conversation go like when you, you know, with your pregnancies and uh, talking to your doctors about using cannabis, uh, you know, in your, you know, regimen, uh, you know, from the difference between your first child and your second you know, um, before, with my, before, you, before yeah. you answer that question, I just want to say, Dawn, if you want to come through, we sent you a link so you can also come through and we can pick up conversation with you. Go ahead, Casey. Sorry. Oh, you're fine. Um, with my first pregnancy, I felt like it was much more. I have an incredible OBGYN. I will say that I found I found my match. Um, he is an incredible doctor out of southwest Missouri. And during my first pregnancy, it almost felt more like don't ask, don't tell kind of situation. He was like, oh, I can smell the smoke on you. I was like, I'm sure you can. <laughs> I apologize. But I I was so sick at that time. It was like, what am I going to do? You know, I, I was I was 20 when I got pregnant with my daughter. So I felt like um, and I had actually just come out of some issues with drug addiction. And so I've been, you know, almost eight years clean with that. But that I got clean about nine months before I got pregnant. So I was like, OK, I'm raising myself. Let's give me a let's give me a little baby to raise too, universe. That's cool. I can we'll make it work. Yeah. Um, but and you do make it work, by the way. She makes oh, it yeah, work we do. so well. We work Such hard and we make it work. <laughs> but but really in finding um having gone down a pretty dark path at such a young age and then having I just feel blessed through it all, honestly. Not everyone can say, um, they came out of it and were able to experience that other half of it, the other side, and see all the natural benefits. But um, 
So that conversation was a lot. I feel like now they're still not real ready because I have um, my doctor is through one of the facilities down here where they can't prescribe medical cannabis. They can't really talk about it with their patients because they're they're federally funded. So I understand that side of it, too. They can't lose their funding. But then that leaves a lot of women feeling like what they're doing is wrong. Um, So there's still not a lot of open dialogue, honestly, with my practitioner. Um, I've found more peace, I guess, peace of mind going to like holistic doctors to have that conversation than I do with my practitioner, just in case I don't want to risk his position um, as a doctor, because that's it sucks that they have to be between that rock and a hard place. But right now, especially in Southwest Missouri, we're still in Missouri in general. There's just still. um, Can I say that it sucks that the women are put between a rock and a hard place. Like he's choosing his career over, over um, actually treat like, you know, treating you as a patient for your health, which is, you know, and and I respect that position because it is a sticky situation because then he loses his license. He can't do anything for anybody. Right. But at the same time, um, we've got to, like, okay, for example, um, let me, um, before I give that example, LL Cool Gamer, new here, um, welcome to the Canvas Closet Podcast. We are the Canvas Closet Podcast. Today, we are talking about um, women's reproductive health, and our guests today, Casey Ballou and Keisha King, um, and yeah, so we're just kind of getting into it. That's our topic of discussion today. Trigger warning, we are going to talk about things that make you blush and some things that are uh, related to a potential trauma. So it's going to fill the spectrum of our conversation. Um, just as this is not an example of people, this is an example of a veterinarian who also has the same um, situation where they could get in a lot of trouble and lose their license for recommending cannabis. However, um, it's not a problem that you're not a woman. Everybody needs to know about women's uh, reproductive health. Uh, so, um, but when my dog got cancer, I, I mean, he knows what I do for a living. He knows the circles that I'm in. And so then we just had the conversation between us. I think that is important. I think it's important that, um, you know, Maybe it doesn't go in the medical record, right? But the conversation, I should still be okay to have this conversation with you, my trusted physician, right? Yes. Like, I trust you to see me naked. (laughs) Right. You know, know, I, this is actually one area that I would definitely like to like interject in and jump into because this is like, this is one of the things that I, I intersect with a lot as a doula, because a lot of the families that I work with, a lot of the women that I work with are cannabis users outside of pregnancy. And, and a lot of them deal with this, with the same situation. They have um, either diagnosed or undiagnosed hypermesis, which is where you're just sick the whole time. Like you just, there's literally, you can't keep anything down. Your body doesn't have the chemistry to, to, to do that. And so um, because a lot of them are cannabis users outside of pregnancy, they know that that is a way to get their body in check and to be able to even have food and be able to gain weight and be able to nourish baby. And, you know, I would definitely say that, you know, it it's, it's very unfortunate because 
what you all were just talking about as far as like not wanting to put the doctor in a, a, a awkward position or in a situation where they would have to do something that wouldn't necessarily be in the best case of their patient. That is one of the things that I regularly come in contact with with my clients, regardless if they are, you know, the ones who are cannabis, cannabis users or not, is they feel like, um, you know, sometimes they can't have certain conversations with their doctors because they don't want their doctors to do something in response to those conversations. And it's because, you know, these doctors have policies to uphold in these systems that they work in. And so it's a very, not, I don't want to say a slap in the face, but it's a very clear example of how these, these, the doctors have to fall under the policies and procedures of the hospitals rather than really being able to take the side of their patients and do what's best for each individual patient. Because is, isn't that what doctors are for? Yes. Shouldn't we be able to have those conversations? Right. And so that's, that is, that is one of the things that, you know, um, I would definitely say within birth work and within doula work, um, but even in, in, you know, within midwifery work, it is something that people are way more willing to talk about. And I think that, you know, at, as, as if you're a cannabis user outside of pregnancy, you do become pregnant and you see that it's a need to help you, you know, thrive in pregnancy. So that way, you know, you can eat and function throughout the day. Um, and typically what I find in those type of people is that they're not, you know, ingesting a lot throughout the day. They may ingest once or twice. Their body can't even handle that much. At Lower that doses point. are better. Typically. Yeah. You yeah. know, and That's so a, yeah, it's what you were saying too, Casey. Correct? Yeah, that mm -hmm. you're yes. lower. Yes, and, I, exactly. and you know, I I find that you know when when people are able to really pick their providers based on what's important to them, that allows them to have those empowering conversations. Right. Um. Because personally, I've been I've been on the other side of that. I've been the pregnant person who had providers that I had to ask and talk to and see, you know, like, is this going to be an issue? Do I need to be concerned? Um, until I found a provider who was like, no, we don't, we, there's, because this is the thing, there's no equitable way to drug test pregnant people. Either you drug test every single, every single pregnant person that walks in here, or you're doing random selection. And what is random selection based on? Or is it based on any biases? Is it right. based on, um, um, you know, inequitable, you know, ideology? Um, you know, is it based on, um, you know, socioeconomic status? It, which, again, those these are all forms of discrimination. Is it based on education level? You know, right. and so, um, you know, when we really do get down to the nitty gritty and talking about these random drug tests that exist within women's reproductive care or pregnancy care, um, it's not equitable either way it goes. It's it's right. not fair. It it serves no purpose. Um, mm -hmm. And it does a lot of it does a lot more hurt than anything else, because really, if if a woman is, you know, doing very harsh drugs or things that can really like that we know are terrible for a baby, right? Because the thing about cannabis use in pregnancy is we don't know. There's a big question mark. There's right. not a lot of research. The research that does exist is very statistics-based and statistics can't really speak for themselves. They're just numbers. Mm -hmm. They can't talk, you know? So, you know, what then happens is there's this like big question mark. 
but we know that certain drugs are terrible for babies. Like right. we, we know, like meth, probably not great. Probably not. <laughs> probably not great. I'm gonna go out. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say I'm don't do it. Don't do pregnant, it. Right. Yeah, or at all. So I mean, like, generally speaking. Generally <laughs> speaking, right? You know? Um, and so that is the thing about cannabis is that there's such a question mark about it. But it's like, we would know. Like, we know that alcohol, heavy alcohol use in pregnancy, don't do it. Right. Because we know that babies come out with, with different types of situations or long-term situations as an effect. But we don't know that about cannabis, right? right. But cannabis has been around forever. People have been using it forever. People have been mm -hmm. having babies forever. And humans have an endocannabinoid system and create their own cannabinoids. So right. there's there's evidence of that. Um, before we continue on, um, I wanted, I know, Casey, you have uh, your uh, cooking class. So I just want to give you a few minutes uh, to uh, any last thoughts before we lose you today. Well, I think I honestly have loved even this little segment I've gotten to sit in on. I feel like I have, that was enlightening um, because it, it's so true. There's so many um, things that need to change in the, in the birthing realm, whenever it comes to conversation and being more open about. Um, and whenever we do look at those statistics that are looking at um, like illicit drug users, I guess I would say um, we never know what percentage of those fall under these cannabis studies. You know what I mean? Right. So um, there's just so much um, more research that needs to be done. There's so much more open conversation. And I really think it's podcasts like this and those conversations that start that for women who are hesitant, who don't feel comfortable. And it's, it's, you know, crazy that we live in a world where almost people are more comfortable going to something like uh, an open conversation uh, or, um, even to social media to find answers for things that they don't feel comfortable going to their healthcare provider for something that you should feel they are there to help. They're supposed to be anyway. Um, and so if we can't even find comfort in having those conversations while pregnant, while, you know, while, especially during my first pregnancy, I didn't know if I could do it. You know, I had so many questions and then, so having guilt, I truly faced you. I like guilt from using cannabis during my first pregnancy because there were still, I mean, this, I feel like even in the past five years, we've had so much new knowledge come out I mean, with yeah, the six medical years program. is a long time in cannabis. It is. In babies. About I, mean, I don't have children, ago. but I've watched my friends have children and it's, it's different. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, it's crazy that, um, so hopefully we will see those changes come out in the near future and that these, com these kind of conversations can start dialogue for that. And that maybe, you know, a few women can walk away from this and say like, okay, I am going to have this conversation. Yes. I'm going to find bad. a healthcare provider I'm comfortable with. Um, and I have an appointment in the morning, so we're having a conversation. So yeah, um, always, always interview your doctors, always interview your doctors. I mean, yes. bedside manner is great. Like, don't get me wrong. It is great to feel comfortable <laughs> with your providers, but like what happens when things aren't comfortable for them? Yes. yes. How does that tone change? How does that affect you know? your health? Yes. How does that affect your treatment? Yes, yeah. exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. Because everything's fine and dandy while everyone's comfortable, but there are uncomfortable conversations. It's an uncomfortable yes. topic to breach, you know, yes, um, because yeah, there's just, there's no telling, but you're so right. Cannabis has been used for so long. It is like, it's God's plant. That's what I call it. It is. It's mm -hmm. my healing go-to. So um, it's been around a lot longer than any of us and it's going to continue to be something that's used. So we would know if there was like 
a detrimental effect to this consistently over time, you know, and I think the more that we play around with different um, mixes, we'll really find some stuff that are breakthroughs, not even just for, for pregnant women, but for reproductive health and how that can really, I know women who are making like infused lubes, like there's some cool stuff coming out. So I'm just, I'm here for it all. And I just, I think it's so cool um, to really look at it from a women's reproductive uh show. It's just, it's a neat, it's an awesome topic. And I'm glad I got to be a part of it tonight. So thank you guys for having me on. Um, you're very welcome. And also, uh, if you would like to come hang out with us on Wednesday for our, our work Wednesday, we we're probably going to follow up on this show because it's such a, uh, amazing topic. Um, you guys can find, uh, Definitely check out what Casey's doing. Subscribe to her classes. She's going to teach you how to do it yourself. Um, and when she's teaching these classes, she's not just teaching you how to cook with cannabis. She's telling you why you're cooking with the ingredients you're cooking with. Yes. It's really an amazing experience. And I definitely suggest it for anybody um, who's interested in cannabis edibles or just an amazing um, information for you. Know, I mean, it's just, you're, you've got, you're brilliant. Um, Thank you. So definitely Thank you so um, check out Casey uh, cannabis um, edibles. Um, really you do an amazing job and I, I'm so glad that I met you. So. Oh, yeah. the feelings are so mutual. Yeah. That is beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank yes. You. I just um, love to be here and be educating. Thank you for thank um, you. taking some time out of your day for us today. And um, we're going to continue with the show, everybody. So, so, you know, don't go any bit where, but um, Casey's going to go um, cook with some of her, um, some of her students. So have fun with that. What are you cooking tonight? So tonight we're doing what's called taco soup. It's like a kind of like a spinoff Paula Deen's recipe. Um, it's just like super good, hearty flavors. We're going to infuse some tortilla chips to go across the top. Um, uh, infused cornbread is also real good with this. So I like to do savory dishes more than the sweet stuff. So I love it. We've done. Um, I did like a chicken Alfredo recently. That one was um, probably one of the best I've made in a long time. Um, but yeah, I'm all about the savory stuff. The soup season is here guys. So I'm yes, here. I love soup. <laughs> I love it too. It's, it's so great. Um, and I love that too. Um, because we talk all the time, the sugar is, is a detriment. Sugar is, is killing us. It's, it's horrible. Us. It's absolutely it's horrible. So to be able to create on your own, some savory dishes that are healthy, that come from like, um, um, you know, a health, like healthy recipes and yeah. So amazing. So thank you so much for being here today and you're welcome back here anytime. anytime oh, thank all. you. Thank you so much. You, Good to see you. you guys always. Oh, we'll talk you to too. you soon. It was nice to meet you. It was so nice to meet you. We'll you make are sure brilliant. You you Best of luck. Okay. Thank you. And to you too yeah. in this madness. Yeah. We'll make sure, um, <laughs> we connect you guys too. So. Okay. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> We love to all. We'll see you guys later. Bye. Thanks, Casey. Bye. So we're going to take this moment to um, do a little advertising bits. I want to start by saying just because you can comment doesn't mean you should comment. So maybe just listen to the conversation and don't distract from it. Relight your, uh, uh, relight yourselves. Let's take a minute. Relight. Take Let's a breath. Relight. Let's relight. Take a breath. Rehydrate. Uh, relight your, uh, your, um, implement of choice and um 
peace out to those that had to leave. Um, thanks to everyone that's here with us today. Schnooks, we see you up in there in the comments. Appreciate yes. being here. Which she brought up a comment that I wanted to kind of bring back to, um, and we mentioned a little bit of, uh, you know, what happens with CPS? What happens when someone does get discriminated against? What happens when um, a mother, a child is taken from a mother because of a suspected, um, you know, use of cannabis or other reasons why they um, choose to take children away from parents that are very capable? Yeah. Yeah. Basically um, there's a, I mean, it's not a phenomenon to people who um, aren't, white and um, middle class or above, but um, there is something happening in America. It's, it's um, medical kidnapping. Yes. And um, it happens um, a lot to women of color, um, families of color, and also um, to uh, lower um, poverty stricken people as well. Their children are ripped from them. Yeah. So, can we talk a little bit about that and the dangers of choosing cannabis as an option? In some of these instances, it could be dangerous to your family. Yeah. I mean, it's it's always going to be dangerous when you do something that you know is um, theoretically not legal or something that is looked upon as um, endangerment of a child. And so... Um, what can happen um, to people is um, if they do test positive, um, they can continue to be tested throughout pregnancy. Um, it really depends on how sometimes the provider wants to handle it. Um, sometimes in some situations, the provider might address the person about it. Um, and other times you may just be reported. It really just depends on when that test comes about or when that first test happens. Um, if you, you know, go through prenatal care all without ever being tested because maybe your particular physician doesn't, you know, that's not a huge part of their, um, you know, ideology behind medical care. If they don't, if they don't feel that they need to drug test you, then they won't. But when you go to the hospital, that's a little bit of a different situation because you're no longer going to your doctor's office that you've been visiting the last eight months or seven months. You're now going to maybe a completely different set of staff um, and your doctor may not be available or there might be another doctor that's on call. And that doctor, you know, or there may be a nurse who says, you know, they 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 smell something or they think this or they think that or, you know, they look dirty. So, you know. Yeah. So they must drop mom. Yeah. And so then, you know, in that situation, they drop mom and. Um, what I have seen happen, um, is sometimes they will approach the mother prior to discharge, um, and have her sign paperwork acknowledging that she knows that they, uh, tested her and that her results came back positive for, you know, can't for, for cannabis. Um, and then it's typically followed by a home visit. Um, and depending on how that home visit goes really dictates, what happens at that point? Um, because then at that point, you're that, that, that social worker who comes in, they really are going to be the person who either says, Oh, this is a, a habitable home that is 
you know, not dangerous or, oh, this is dangerous. This is a terrible place. This baby shouldn't be here. Right. Um, we talk a lot on this show about um, the disparities um, that we see when um, sy- systemically. So when the police, for example, yeah. are dealing with the public, it's who they're dealing with. It determines how they're going to react um, and and who's potentially going to die in that situation. Yeah. Right. Um, but this the same thing goes for this. So when you have. This is why it's so important. Um, some some people I see in the comment sections of these individuals, well, they shouldn't lose their jobs, blah, blah, blah. No, but if they behave a certain way, they should not be working with the public because they're going to make decisions based on their perceived notions of this person and not based on facts. And right. that's problematic. And yeah, that's ripping right. families apart in another way, just like the prohibition has continue to rip families apart then we come into now that it's not uh prohibited in some places and it is in others um even the places where we have legalization testing positive for cannabis can still be a danger to your family in places where it's legal and that to me it's 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 very interesting, especially considering that it's something that's offered as a medical option. Right. Right. You know, um, one of the things that I think most of us as citizens love about America is that, you know, we have the life, liberty, you know, and happiness and all that. And so it's very difficult when, you know, you're just living your life and you're doing what is essentially legal, especially if you are in a legal state where either it's medical or it's recreational, which every year we get closer and closer to their, well, we get more and more states to where that is Mm -hmm. more and more relevant and it's having to be looked at. Um, And so, you know, there is that, there's that, that issue where they conflict with one another, Mm -hmm. right? Because something that was once deemed illegal and had this nasty connotation with it and, was drugged through the mud and had all this propaganda attached to it is now being, oh, this is a medical option. And right. you know, now you can use this for this, this, that, and the other. And we've got veterans and police officers who are, you know, using it for PTSD and they say it works. So, you know, like, you know, and all these things. And so it's like, now it's moved from, I think, because it's more acceptable, because more acceptable people are using openly white white women y'all yep but now we're more acceptable can we do this more acceptable more acceptable (laughs) means means white women are doing it and so now everybody can do it more because you can't white men are profiting off of it so that and white men are profiting off of it exactly that exactly and so now we're having to deal with the ugly shadow of racism that exist in every facet of mm-hmm. our society and you know this is just one of those places now because you know if you were a you know live i want to say maybe the last 40 years then you know about the war on drugs and how the war on drugs was used systemically in black neighborhoods to um arrest and incarcerate large numbers of african-american males and how 
uh, the three strike system furthermore disenfranchised them and how um, the laws with with crack cocaine versus um, regular cocaine, you know, were created. Um, so, you know, there's a lot yes. of disproportional history. So, yeah, um, which is what they're going to do to cannabis. They're doing that. that. Yeah. So to be clear, everybody, what she's saying is there are different laws and and um, and um, what do you call them? Punishment schedule. It's not mm -hmm. that's not what's called for along um, that. Yeah. For for um, being caught in possession of cocaine and being caught in possession of crack. Crack is uh, a cocaine derivative and it is um, punished harsher and it is found in poor neighborhoods and neighborhoods of, of communities of color. Historically, yeah, for sure. Historically. In the 80s, that's and it was put there. I said this on our I said this on our on our addiction episode, and I'm gonna say it again. It was put there by our government. They yes. did that. They yes. did that. There's definitely there's definitely evidence and information that supports that. There for absolutely sure. is. And um, and we were talking about when we were talking about addiction, which kind of straying away from the topic of reproduction, but it, it kind of all ties in. I mean, um, people are people. People have babies. When we were talking about the subject of addicts addiction, have babies, addicts have babies, and we were talking about how there's this epidemic now, this opioid epidemic, right? And it's affecting who? White women. Yes. It is affecting soccer moms, so, and so yes. now we have to do something about it. But when crack was affecting families, when crack was affecting, black they were mothers, just putting women in jail they were just putting men in jail that's what they were doing your it wasn't away. it wasn't about helping the community it wasn't about going after somebody for it it yeah. was really it was so, the feature not the flaw you guys this is definitely what i will say about that because so a, a little bit of back a little bit of background about myself um my my degrees in journalism. I had the opportunity to be a news reporter for a very uh, extensive stretch of time. Um, and then I just got to a point where I was like, this is not for me. This feels very wrong. I don't like how I feel being this filter. Um, right. However, one of the things that I got to cover um, while I was in college and even after graduation in the particular town that I was living in, which was a very small town, was the opioid epidemic, right? And how all these teenagers and these uh, college kids and these young adults who all were white for the most part were overdosing um, at parties, at people's houses, and their friends were just leaving them for dead and all these things like that. And it was very reminiscent of the, of the crack era when in the 80s, um, that's kind of what was happening in the black community. People were overdosing, people were dying, people were being found in abandoned homes. Uh, babies were being found in homes with no parents because their parents are strung out or people would right. take their whole paycheck and, you know, do things like that. And so, you know, obviously it wasn't, when you look at these already impoverished communities that are then affected by drugs, you can definitely see the deprivation, but it's a little right. bit different when you have these teenagers who are still living with mom and dad, mom and dad, um, have a lot of money. Yeah. They you get rich privilege. Yeah. You know, you don't see a whole lot of people's lives, you know, tunneling well, down, but what you see are overdoses. You see what, what you also see too is, um, 
is judges seeing their kids in these kids. So then exactly. they let them off. Exactly. Right. Or, or these are their kids. Right. Or these right. are their kids or their, and or their, or their, or their kids' friends. Let me tell you how deep I know we're, I know we're off topic, but not <laughs> off topic for the show, not off topic for the show. No, but it all goes you, with it. You know, it you're having a child is still your reproduction. It's all in there. Child. Let yeah. me tell you how deep this goes. During the crack epidemic, if you were, if there was evidence or not that you were in the vicinity of the person that you left there to die, you would get arrested for that. You could go yep. to jail for the rest of your life. You could yep. be convicted of murder for that, yep. for somebody overdosing and you not doing anything about it. That does not happen in white communities. Right. They give you, they give you an Rich injection to give your friend and they teach you how to do the injection and teach you how to call 911 and tell them what's going on. But they what I'm you, saying is- They give is, you support. But what I'm saying is too, that if a rich college boy leaves his friend to die- Oh, Usually yeah. the consequences are nil for him. Oh yeah, because he has a problem, and we should have sympathy over the fact that he has a problem. And really, it's the same. It's the same thing. It's the yeah. same thing. You're just you're just judging based on your on on your uh, biases, on your bigotry. Exactly. Exactly. I know. We just went into it. I wanted to. Um, let's let's. I have. I pulled this article. <laughs> <up. your> <laughs> I pulled this article up that I sent you guys today because we were talking about um, before we got into the the drug use and everything. We were talking about um, the the legalization and um, and what we know about cannabis and what we don't know about cannabis. We still have a long way to go to know what we need to know about cannabis. There's so much we need to learn. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be honest with everybody. Cannabis, we're going to find out is got some problems there's there's some problematic shit happening there but that we need to know that so that we can address it and do something about it because generally speaking and overall it's not problematic it's very um organic and healthy and a better way to go and should be an option um when given the option of an opioid especially or any type of medication any type of uh synthetic uh, man-made medication especially if you're pregnant with a child but part of the problem is is that sometimes this is a bipartisan thing where it goes across the aisle and everybody's in agreement that 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 we're this what are we doing here this is bullshit mm -hmm. right um but then we also have these crazy stories so um i just want to give a shout out to um clubhouse uh cannabis news hour because they cover a lot of interesting topics and today they happen to cover a topic that related to what we were going to be talking about so i just wanted to um look at this article cannabis use disorder rate rose among pregnant women between um 2001 and 2012 and so there was a study done um, in California by researchers um, at uh, the, the School of Public Health. I'm not going to read that whole. That's a big ass name. Um, but anyways, um, uh, we can share this. Um, I'm, gonna, well. yep, I'm doing yeah. it right now while you cool. talk. Um, in San Diego, it's in California, San Diego reports that babies born to mothers diagnosed with cannabis use disorder were more likely to experience negative health outcomes such as preterm birth, low birth weight, uh, than babies born to mothers without cannabis use diagnosis. Um, so the published, they published the findings in April, 
Uh, cannabis use disorder is diagnosed term with specific criteria that identifies continued cannabis use despite consequent clinical significant impairments. So it's just saying problematic cannabis use. They're saying you got problem. You it's problematic that you use so much cannabis. And probably been diagnosed. Um, and what did they give like a, a a breakdown of what that looked like as far as like uh, they so uh, let's see led by blah 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 conducted a retrospective cohort study of 4.83 million mothers who delivered live single births in California from 2001 to 2012. They identified um, 20,237 women who were discharged after delivery with diagnosis of cannabis use disorder, meaning that they used cannabis through pregnancy, basically. Um, Not all people. Okay, so this says not all people who use cannabis met the criteria for cannabis use disorder. Um, They started the actual incidence of cannabis use disorder is likely higher they stated that the instance is likely higher than the reported numbers. Uh, the, they found that the diagnosis of cannabis use disorder based on medical records at time of delivery rose from 2.8 to 6.9 per 1,000 deliveries from 2002 to 2012 compared to matched control group, uh, 4,474 mother infant pairs, infants born to women with, can, with cannabis use disorder were more likely to be born preterm, have a low birth weight, and be small for their gestational age. All factors that can require greater or more intense medical care. Uh, They found that uh, though rare overall, less than 1%, the risk of infant mortality was greater. Um, Because we're only looking at medical records, so that's the thing here. They're only looking at medical records. They don't know anything else about what's going on. Um, diet and stuff, I don't think. Uh, recommendation that health professionals screen for and address cannabis use disorders for pregnancy clients. Um, so yeah, there's these, there's this study that says that, you know, this number has actually gone up when I like, it's, there's not a real clear criteria on what cannabis use disorder is. So it could just be you had cannabis in your system and or you smelled like cannabis, like Casey was saying, when you walked into the doctor's office or something like that. Um, Yeah. And. It says. um, They said that the women were treating themselves for depression, anxiety, stress, pain, nausea, vomiting often during the first trimester. Um, Also, I have a question about that too. If they're only using during the first trimester, are we going to see a low, I mean, a low birth rate at the end of the day? I don't know. I think that um, this study feels a little biased, to be honest. Are they reporting on the healthy births of those mothers? They didn't report on any of that, on the healthy birth of the cannabis mothers. So I don't know. I feel like it's an, but I'm also biased too. I think the biggest thing, especially when when they're looking at the things that they're looking at, when we talk about premature births, birth weight, um, and then what was the other thing that they said? They said, let's see, let me go back up to this. Premature birth, birth weight. Infant mortality, risk of infant mortality was one of them. 
I have to go back up in here and find where it said that. Okay. But continue well, with your thoughts. But when we're but when we're looking at things like like those two things, because it wasn't infant mortality, it was something way less like oh, be small for their gestational age. Yes, small for gestational age, right? So when we when we start looking at things like that, um, and and correlating cannabis use with it without talking about um, the mother's ages, right? Mm -hmm. That we're that we're looking at, or talking about the mother's the race of the mothers, right? Um, mm -hmm. Because uh, again, historically, black mothers are more prone to give birth to smaller weight babies, regardless to, to, to smoking or not smoking, because a, a lot of that has to deal with the stress that, that, that takes place throughout that pregnancy or just in that, in that person's body, right? Right. Versus you know, somebody who probably doesn't have to worry about anything at all in regards it's, to their life. taken care of, yeah. Yes, you know, that, that whole piece. Um, and then I would also be interested to, to see, you know, um, like when they say preterm labor, like how early they're talking. Because mm -hmm. sometimes when people say preterm labor, they mean before 38 weeks. But somebody can go into labor at 37 weeks and it's perfectly healthy and fine and they will let that baby come. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I wonder, too, because they don't like it doesn't say it says that they, they basically just admitted to using cannabis. This is mm -hmm. where they get their information. So they don't know how much cannabis is being used. If it is problematic use, it could be. I mean, we're, we could have that conversation all day long. Um, but. Um, there's no, you know, there's, it doesn't break that down. Um, were they smoking otherwise? Were they smoking cannabis? Were they smoking, uh, tobacco? Like I want to, you know, I have so many questions about these. And, and they said that mothers were using it for depression and nausea and all those other things. And, you know, when we really start to talk about clinical drugs that exist for those, those things in pregnancy, those things have serious effects. I mean, they have they have evidence of of infant of infants dying. They have evidence of children being born um, with deformities and different abnormalities that have taken place because of what their bodies have been exposed through while developing. Um, that you know, and, and if a mother and to be quite honest, if a mother is experiencing uh, nausea throughout her whole entire pregnancy where she is vomiting every day, numerous, numerous, <laughs> she's not going to gain a whole lot of weight. She's probably not going to have a super fat baby. Right. Right. Already. Yeah. Cause she can't keep the nutrients. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So the also, um, I always bring this up and it's because I want more education, not because I'm trying to, you know, um, put anybody down, but Doctors and nurses and medical staff, for the most part, get less than 4% of their curriculum in uh, cannabis studies, if you will, and it's based in stigma, whatever they get. So it's not even based in what's actually happening um, and what's actually true and what studies actually that we do have access to actually say about cannabis. It's based in the stigma that we've lived with for so long. So it's very difficult. It makes it difficult to have those conversations with the doctor right? at, on, at, at any level, even if you're not getting pregnant and giving birth, you can't, it's difficult to have the conversation. conversation. I mean, for me, 
I've just decided to embrace my privilege and, and, and go with it. So I, I walk in like this, you know, I walk yeah. in with the cannabis leaf. You, you're going to know straight that this is what I do. This is how I take care of things. Um, but not everybody has the, um, the privilege to do that. Right. right. Because, because of your job, because of your kids, because of whatever the case right. may be, because of your family, blah, blah, blah. And, um, the one place you should be able to have a conversation truthfully should be in your doctor's office. And the fact that doctors are unfortunately not banding together to address this um, and change the policies of their licensing mm-hmm. and taking care of their patients, but instead worrying about their license over their patient's health and their, their patient's concerns, their patient's ability to be honest with you. Like, mm-hmm. for instance, if you go in for surgery and you are a chronic, chronic smoker, right? You need to be able to tell somebody that because it may take more anesthesia to put you under because mm-hmm. you use You're cannabis. Tolerant. Yeah, you have a high level of tolerance. So we want to be able to be honest with our doctors. And honestly, it's going to take our doctors being allies to us. I mean, really, it's called equitable care. It's uh, called that, equitable care. I guess not allies, just like do your job. You took an oath to like, I like, was like the Girl Scout oath over here. Oh, so like, many of them are scared. Even here in Colorado, just the doctors writing recommendations, they're scared to write recommendations because they literally will, you know, they've made up rules of who they can write recommendations for and restricted to them to the point where if they like may, you know, they can take away their, you know, they can restrict their license for writing cannabis uh, recommendations. And then that, fucks up with their whole license, just a, a restriction on their license in general um, mm-hmm. can mess with them. So, um, so why doctors are, you know, afraid to talk to you about cannabis, you know, why oh, we're federally funded, oh, la, 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 um, la. oh, you pay with Medicare or whatever the, you know, like uh, excuses, but it, it still needs to be a discussion again, like you said. Uh, how is this going to affect when I, you know, when I'm in surgery, when I don't have this medicine? Um, mm-hmm. You know, again, talking to your physician about it, we have that on our intake of, does your prescribing, you know, practitioner know about, and do your primary care physician know about your cannabis use? And we also have a marking on there of, I am unsure of how to talk to my, or uncertain about the discussion with, you yeah. know, because they're scared. They're yeah. scared to talk. And like, imagine you're taking medication and you want to use cannabis, but you don't know how they're going to interact. So you just take the chance yeah. instead of talking to your doctor, which is what you should be doing. You should not be taking the chance. You should not be weaning yourself off of medication. You should be doing no. that under a doctor's care. Cause that's very dangerous. It's very oh, yeah, dangerous. For sure. And, and that's, and that is, that is definitely a huge, a huge gray area for a lot of medical users. Like a lot of medical users is that they've gone about doing it the legal way, the right way, you know, making that financial investment that is also there, making sure that, you know, they're getting it from, you know, the right places. And then it's like, well, you still can't be that open about your health and your health. Like, why not? Never, ever, never have you ever men been restricted 
in your healthcare because of something like that. Yeah. Because of anything. And yeah. yet women are, you know, first of all, not believed when we go, no. okay, I wanted to, I want to touch on that a little bit too, because yeah. um, some women we talk, we can talk about um, using a cannabis for very treating various symptoms of various illnesses, but oftentimes women go in and talk to their doctors and because the doctor doesn't really understand what you're talking about, or he thinks maybe you want drugs or I don't know, something like that. They don't believe you. So I just, I'm, I'm not, this statement is not going to make anybody believe you, or maybe it's not that they don't believe you. We've been talking a lot. Sorry guys, not bashing you or anything, but we've been talking a lot about male mediocrity Mm -hmm. and like seeing these, um, these beautiful, lovely Queens cutting pictures of, of, of toaster strudels out and gluing them on a piece of paper so that their husband can go grocery shopping so they could sit in a bath for an hour or whatever the case may be. Right. So, Mm -hmm. so, um, it's, it's learned mediocrity. Ladies don't let them get away with it. Um, but I think sometimes doctors do this too. Like, I don't know what it is. She's lying or we'll treat it with Tylenol or we'll give you a narcotic or whatever the case may be. Um, uh, this is what I want you to say to your doctor from now on ladies from now on i want you to say can you um please write into my medical record that i asked for this and that you denied this uh this thing for me it doesn't matter if it's it doesn't matter what it is if you are asking for an x-ray or a, a scan of some sort because you think some some shit's fucked up and they say no to you just ask them to notate that in the medical record. Can you please notate in my medical record that you've denied me this service, you know, so that there's a a record of you asking for it and, and, and being consistent about your symptoms and about, and about um, what, what your life is like with this and what you think you need. If somebody, usually when you say that from what I, from what I've talked to other women about this, Usually when you say that, they order the thing for you. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because they don't want to say that they denied you something that could potentially be a life-saving thing. Yep. And at the same time, go look for another practitioner while and that, you're getting yep. that. And that. that. And that is a huge, and that's a huge thing. It's like, you shouldn't feel like you have to do those things, but yes, that is definitely what you should do. If you feel like you're, you're telling your provider, Hey, this is, I'm a, this is the thing, like the providers, they are great at medicine. They have gone to school for a very long time for that particular study, right? That practice of practicing. Yeah. That's the keyword. (laughs) But we live in our bodies 100% of the time. We are experts about our bodies. And so what really has to happen is we have to have that confidence within ourselves to control the narrative and advocate for ourselves and yes. teach teach you know you know i think male mediocrity exists it definitely exists but i think it is also because sometimes we let it slide mm-hmm. that we let we, we don't let it happen because and, and, I, and i don't mean that to be a slide because women doctors do this too they do women doctors do this too they do and and I will definitely say that when doc when it happens in the medical when it happens in the medical realm and you go to your doctor you say hey this is what's going on or I'm feeling this I will I can tell you I can tell you as a doula if they can't 
make a little bit of money off of it, if there's no drug for them to give you, um, if there is no back advantage for them, then it doesn't ha- then it doesn't it doesn't happen. I can't tell you how many people I know that have lightning crotch, which is where um, the hormones- please explain this phenomenon yeah. because my friend, listen, listen, my friend texted me about this shit, and I was like, "Excuse me, ma'am, right? Like, what is Excuse going me? on? Yeah." So, <laughs> so when you go into labor, your body releases uh, this hormone that makes your bones very malleable so that they can they can flex and let baby come right on out right but what's happening is there are small amounts of that constantly being released throughout the pregnancy so sometimes you'll get a pocket of it in certain places and that'll be that that nerve that you're feeling that that extra sensitive nerve and so um as baby is pushing and applying pressure in certain areas if they apply pressure to that 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 spot that's extra malleable or extra soft or where the nerves are extra, you know, sensitive, it it literally feels like a knife just like going right up inside of you sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, sometimes, sometimes next it's in the butthole. Yeah, that too, or in the lower stomach. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what a lot of people don't know is chiropractic care is great. Oh, I didn't know that. that. Acupuncture, great for that. Yoga, great for that. Um, Water, walking in the water. Hydrate too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, they're already going to be peeing a lot. But yeah, hydration is super (laughs) important too. But yeah, like there are so many ways around it, but all of those things are very holistic based things. Thank you. That is good for people to know. Amazing. Um, the first time I heard about lightning crotch, I died a little bit. I was like, all the moms have, like, I've known, not, never can heard you, of it. Can you like, can you like, can you like shoot people with your lightning crotch? Like I was, <laughs> it feels I, was it. I, was like, I, I know one time you I want to, you probably out. want to. Coming, I was like, is the baby coming? Like, God, this hurts. Yeah. So, so Schnook says. I thought she was kicking me and you're like, no, nah, this, this baby's coming right now. Yeah, exactly. He said, pew, pew. <laughs> well, lightning crotch is real. And I can tell you that people walk around experiencing it from the, from second trimester all the way to when they give birth. And it is so unfortunate and it is so uncomfortable because you have to change the way you get up. You have to change the way you sit down. You have to change the way you sleep. I definitely spent 43 years of my life not even knowing that this was a thing. And then 43 right here. Yeah. My friend Gert tells me, she texts me and she tells me that this is happening to her. And I was like, what the fuck? They can do that? <laughs> Are you talking about right now? I'm, I'm blown. My, my sisters never, none of my friends that have children have ever said this. Uh, and and you know why they've never said it to you? Because we don't talk about shit like this enough no. to each other. But we need and to. And I'm close to my friends that have children. You know, the ones that I, I've been, you know, I'm, I'm a godmother. It's like I taboo. Have, you can't talk about your butthole. Wow. Yeah. Lightning crotch. I'm like, I don't even know if they know the term for it. Maybe they had the the, the things and just didn't say anything. But yeah. um, I did not know. Uh, yep. 
I'm well, gonna you know, ask well, all of my mothers. I'm gonna be like, so when you were pregnant with, uh, did you have? Tell me and, about your lightning crotch. <laughs> tell me, please. Uh, you know, reinforce the another reason why for myself, I am uh, fortunate to have not had children. Um, See, some of us find it fortunate. Can we? Yeah. Uh, we were talking about this before we came on. Yeah, that, ladies, it's okay to not reproduce. Yeah. You don't have to have babies. You don't have to be a mother. You don't have to. That's that's not like a requirement of, of, of being born a female. And it's so it's so disheartening because a lot of people, I think, perpetually have felt that in order to live, like, oh, I, have to, I have to get married. I have to give him a baby. That has to be, you know, what I have to do. And now we're getting to in a day and age where we're really getting autonomy in our body. And that means that some women are standing up and saying, like, I am making the choice to not be a parent. I, that is not how I see my life going. And I think that that is an amazing empowerment, you know, piece to go through because it's 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 rejecting the gender norm of I'm a woman. I have to have a baby. We're not just vessels, right? Right. Or like, you know, the whole one, you're like, you're a woman, you have to cook, you got to be barefoot in the kitchen and pregnant. Like, no. that's not how everybody sees their their, their life. Like, that that's that's not an expectation of, of, ha of having ovaries and, you know, no. not. Maybe in another life or maybe in a previous life I already did. So I'm like, I'm good where I am right now in my life and, and where, you know, um, but I, I mean, Okay, sorry. No, lady is always here. It's like I say. Also, maybe even in this life, if there is a child in need that I am that I love and I'm close to, or you know, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. if if I have the resource and the ability to do that, that's that. I mean, we've discussed that. You know, as that could be a potential in life, but right now it's not for I'm not, us. I am happily. I'm not planning yeah. on birthing a child. I have several friends that have birth ch children in their uh, 40s at this point. No, um, ma'am. <laughs> and um, yeah. And yeah, I'm, I mean, I've definitely, I, I've known a few people who, who have gotten in their 40s and they, you know, have done their professional thing and gotten all the accolades they want. And they're, you know, may not be married, but that's not what's, you know, a focal that's point not a requisite, them. A yeah, that's that's not a focal point for them for what their life looks like. And so, you know, they'll go and 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 get donated materials and have a baby and live their happy lives. And again, I that is just where it is your life. Live your life how you deem necessary, because at the end of the day, nobody else has to deal with it. But you. Nope. Yep. Nope. like. Regret, you only regret what, what you choose to deal with. Right. I don't have any regrets at all. Just for anybody out there who's like, I don't know. I've heard I'm going to regret it. I heard that my whole life. Mm -mm. I don't regret it at mm -mm. all. Um, at all. I'm very happy. Um, I did. We were talking about this before we came on the show. I didn't even like children when I was a kid. So I don't. <laughs> I went through this thing, and I think all women do this. I don't know, MJ, if you went through this uh, at all, but I went through this thing in my 30s, like real early 30s, because me and my husband got married when we were 32. Okay. So it was before that. But I went through this brief 
point and I and it was like a rocky relationship and I was like maybe I want to have a baby <laughs> but I think maybe that's because society pushed you to feel like that's how to feel like you've got Loved. something going on yeah, yeah. and that shouldn't be what it is and you know I, even to that effect like just like a, like so I, both you ladies know me and my husband, we have four children. We break the social norm. We have replaced ourselves twice over. And people think that we are crazy. And, you know, sick. one thing that I have, because we had our four children very early on as far as, like, they're very close in age. And so one of the things I had to deal with in my 20s is having four children and getting looks and getting glares and people saying rude things Nosy and, you know and so now i've gotten to a point where i am very confident in who i am i'm very confident in the choices that i've made and i'm very confident in how i live my life and why you know destiny has picked this for me that if anyone dare say anything to me about how many children i have i ask them why is that any of their concern and i tell them that they should just worry about themselves I really feel like those are the same people that are not that are for like anti-abortion laws and so that they would have yeah damned if you do damned if you don't it's like what exactly what, yeah. exactly oh you don't want to get me started on that because <laughs> that is a whole nother conversation yes and then people being for those same people being for uh, the death penalty, like, mm -mm. Right, like we're just gonna, we're just gonna just. I can't. Yeah, you know, <laughs> we, you know, we keep it truthful over here. Uh, we missed four twenty on the West Coast again, but I know you guys got always, you know, it's always. fine. Um, um, but I mean, to answer your question real quick about you, know, I you know, pendulum back and forth throughout um, having children, not having children, um, the idea of it, the possibility of it happening, and, you know, also um, making the decision to not, and um, you know, being put in a position to have to make that choice. And um, and so for me, it was a different conversation with, you know, because I don't, didn't have, a, you know, I don't have a consistent partner. I feel, you know, it was like, okay, I had to think about myself um, and the lack of, you know, not that I wouldn't be supported, but um, yeah. And, you know, my choice. So, yeah, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, again, not that I wouldn't, you know, it is National Adoption Month this month and um, I am adopted. Um, and without adoption, I would not be here. And without, you know, my mom, you know, she could not have children. And so that's why she, we were, you know, why they adopted. And so um, when we talk about reproductive health, you know, not everyone can have children. And so to, to say that your child isn't your child because it's not birthed from you is, or to say you're not a woman because it's you a fucked up. Wrong. It's a fucked up right. conversation that um you know, has been put forth to my mom. Mm -hmm. Has been uh, you know like, I mean she got the most fucked up questions when we were you know, adopted. She's a you know, white woman and she had uh, two Asian children and and um, a Blackfoot Indian, you know, and lived in Oklahoma. Lived and raised us in Oklahoma in the eighties, and so. Um, yeah. <laughs> right people were not ready for that mm -mm. but that's no. not what life is about it's not about what people are ready for but mm -hmm. now it's so and you know we have a very normal you know my sister and i we feel very normal and normalized or whatever you call it but there are you know children that have adjustment issues with you know with it sometimes and so 
again, more discussion of, you know, our options as humans. Right. And, you know, that's, and that's the thing, right? Like their science is ever present and ever giving. And there are so many different alternatives now that exist in regards to just reproductive options. And I would definitely say like being in the birth work world, you, I've, I've come across so many different things now at this point that I don't think that there's anything that would take me by surprise. Like I have met people who, um, couldn't maybe, you know, produce an egg, but they could carry an egg. So they bought an egg and had their, you know, their partner's uh, material put with it and they carried that baby. So there's just, there's so many different ways that it looks. And there's so many different ways that people get their families that, again, society is changing. The way we think about things are changing. Our parameters are changing. And so a piece of that is what reproductive health looks like. Mm -hmm. and all the things that go along with all those changes. Can we talk about the choice of, uh, you know, being able to choose of how you want to have your child? Uh, You're a doula. Um, Some women don't understand like, you. oh, you just don't go to a hospital and and go to a a surgical suite. And, you know, um, there's water birth, there's your home birth. Um, Can you you talk more about your experience there? Yeah. So there's all different types of options when it comes to birth. I mean, there's some very like, I don't want to say extreme and radical because I think that that would be me putting my lens on it, but Mm -hmm. there are all different types. Let me say of spectrums of options. Um, I would say, you know, present day, a lot of people choose either between a hospital birth um, or a birth center birth. If that is legal in the state that you're in, because not all states for whatever reason legally allow that or a home birth. Um, And so again, that depends on if your state allows that. Um, Wait, but, some states don't allow you to have a baby in your house? Uh, for it to be like attended by a midwife, yeah. So it has to be like an accident. Yeah. yeah. Like, oops, we didn't make it to the hospital enough time. Like one of those. But um, as a doula, I have been blessed and had the opportunity to share spaces um, in all those settings. So I have attended home births. Um, I have attended birth center births. I have attended hospital births. Um, And, you know, I would definitely say, you know, I think it's important for every pregnant person to know what their options are um, because things change in nine months. Like nine months is a very expansive time. And I don't think a lot of people are aware of that. Um, You can learn something, you can experience something and say, I don't ever want that to happen to me again. And I want to change, I want to change course. Um, And so that's why it's important to know about all of your options. But I would definitely say like, um, you know, hospital births, they're great. If if you know you want to get like an epidural, which is uh, pain medication injected in your back, because that is that is only something that can be done in a hospital setting Um, at birth centers. They don't really have a whole lot of um, medical based intervention, like pain, pain intervention. A lot of it is going to be, you know, stretches and moving around and being bouncing in the water, on the taking up, yep, bouncing on a ball, the cleanup <laughs> ball, taking a shower, getting in the bath, having your partner rub on you, eating. Um, and in most hospital births, you're not allowed to eat. You're not allowed to eat once you've been admitted to the hospital. So there are several, 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 several stories of birthers going three, four days without eating. Um, because they're laboring and the hospital won't give them food. 
Um, so you know, there's a lot to no. weigh. There's a lot to weigh when, you, when we talk about a hospital birth. How um, are you supposed to fight without sustenance? Well, you don't fight. That's kind of <laughs> that's kind of the goal. That's yeah, but like, how are you supposed to push and like? Well, you don't. Well, it's really yeah. what ends up happening is they there ends up being a lot of interventions in those situations. Yeah. People either have low blood sugar by the time you know baby is all the way down and ready to push out, um, or you have a lot of C sections. Yeah. So um, it is. It is. I, I as personally, not as a doula, but personally, um, as I would say, I'm a natural birth advocate. So I try to make sure that people know about what a natural birth can look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, if you are healthy and your baby is healthy and your pregnancy is healthy, you are a great candidate to have a birth center birth or have a home birth where you get to have so much more autonomy and empowerment around your birth. You can still have that in the hospital. Um, but I would also say that in the hospital, it really depends on how you equipped yourself and prepare yourself before going into the hospital. So I always recommend that people have a birth plan and I double recommend that if you're going to have a hospital birth. So that way your nurses and whoever is attending you knows that you're serious about your birth knows right. that you're educated about your birth and knows that you want, you know what you want for your birth because right. sometimes people go in there and it's so sad because like it's, it is a birth, like it is new life and we should be so excited, but it, it like hurts my feelings so much as a doula when people say like, wish me luck. And I'm like, Oh no, it's not about luck. It's about preparation. Like mm-hmm. this is, this is about preparation. Um, and there's been so many people who I have, you know, gone to and been like, hey, you know, I know other doulas, like if you can't afford me, I know other doulas who work with low income families or all have scholarships and things like that. And people will be like, oh, we're going to do this or that. And then they come back and they have these traumatic birth stories. And it's like, again, this is supposed to be a celebrated moment. Um, But typically in a home birth or in a birth center birth, you're dealing with a more holistic based team. Um, they're going to be very patient centered and making sure that, you know, obviously that you're healthy and that baby's healthy, but they're going to, they're going to let you lead the way. If you want to lay in bed, they'll, you'll, they'll let you lay in bed. If you want to get in the shower, they'll let you get in the shower. If you want to walk, they'll let you walk. But in the hospital, it's not always like that. Um, sometimes once you, once you're checked into the hospital, um, they have you stay in that bed or they, you know, may label you a fall risk and you can't get out of the bed Yeah. Um, or they'll do procedures and you can't get out of the bed. So, so, so one of our, um, one of our listeners says, um, next says, uh, sounds like a play for more medical care. Like if you go to the doctor, you might end up having a C-section, which means that you're going to need so further medical care for that, et cetera, et cetera. There's, there's a documentary called the, the business of birth. And it talks a lot about, yes, that part right there, that, that play for more medical care. So typically what happens um, within healthcare, especially if you don't have a doula, if, if they can convince you to do this one thing, then they'll try to convince you to do another thing. And then they'll try to convince you to do another thing. And so then it kind of becomes this assembly line of interventions Right. And so that that is one of the things that um, as a doula, I try to advocate for and educate my clients on because the more interventions you stack on, the more dangerous it can become. Um, like a lot of people will have 
um, you know, will be towards the end of their pregnancy, be 38, 39 weeks, and they're like, I'm done being pregnant, I'm getting an induction, which is fine because, again, personal autonomy is super important, but it's also important to be educated. And so they'll go in and they'll get, you know, put on Pitocin and Pitocin contractions are very, very strong and very, very hurtful um, because they're synthetic contractions. They're not your body slowly easing into labor. Um, and so sometimes what happens in those situations, the, the staff will see how much pain you're in and they'll be like, well, let's get you an epidural. And an epidural and Pitocin are not two things you really want to put together because they can put the baby in a lot of distress. Um, and, and a lot of times can result in C-sections mm. because labor stalls out because the body's not ready to have to go into labor. Right. Um, or baby's heart rate can drop mm-hmm. or mom's blood pressure can go up. Sounds very traumatic for both individuals. Yeah. And again, it's just, it's one of those things that they kind of just like glance over when they're going to have you sign that piece of paperwork Mm -hmm. before they give you the medication. Right. They're not going to feed you a pipe uh, and light it for you at the hospital either. That's not going to happen. No, exactly. Exactly. Um, So I have a question. Um, uh, with cannabis legalization, are you noticing that healthcare providers are starting to um, be less dangerous for women who use cannabis and are pregnant? I think that if a person has the ability to 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 go through all the proper steps to become, you know, medically recognized as a cannabis user, I think that that's um, makes it more difficult for the doctor to put them in an unfavorable situation and that they really then have to work with them as a part of their care team versus telling them that, oh, this is terrible, right? Right. So um, I always try to encourage people that if they are going to use throughout pregnancy to go ahead and get that that medical card because it's going to be, it's even though it's not going to stop DFS from coming, it's going to be like driving with a driver's license. Right. You know, so it's it's all about, again, education and access to those resources. Um, and so I think that it's really when when your medical team sees that you're educated, then they will be more open to letting you control the conversation. So yeah, I, I agree with that. On how you show up to the conversation. Yeah. Show up like you, yeah, be, do, do pr- prepare yourself to have the conversation, yeah. do your research, have your documentation. Like your life ready. depends on it. Like your life depends on it. And don't let them tell you no. And if they do tell you no to something, document it, make sure they on. document it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I've definitely had people who have told me things about their providers and I'm like, you know, maybe, maybe we need to look at finding a new provider. And, and that's been what's happened. And they were still able to have the birth that they wanted, the situation that they wanted and have autonomy and control. Um, because some, you know, some doctors are really great about being great providers and being what their patients need. And some providers aren't like, that's just how it, you know, that's just how it is with anything. And I think one, one of you all said earlier, like one, once we do start getting studies on cannabis and pregnancy, like we're going to find out there are things that aren't great. But that's the reality of the world that we live in. 
Like nothing is a hundred percent great. Like don't nothing, we need nothing. to know? Right. But we do need to know. We do right. need to know. And I think that more than anything, when you do hear, you do talk to people who deal with cannabis and pregnancy, whether they're the pregnant person or whether they're the support, um, you will hear that people want to know. We want this information. I, I, I have come across zero cannabis users in pregnancy who have not wanted to know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, um, let's put Keisha's information back up there so people know where they can find her. Um, this has been an amazing 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 show we would love for you if you have time to come back on wednesday to hang yeah. out the show tends to be shorter but you never know when the conversation yeah. gets going um <laughs> on wednesdays uh but it is at the same time and we'll probably do a follow-up on this yeah. and and maybe uh maybe a little bit of lightheartedness in there too but also if you're listening and you have questions um for any of us i'm going to try to get this episode up also on our spotify and everything immediately so that way, if you um, listen on those platforms as well, you can um, send us an email, cannabiscloset420 at gmail.com for questions that we could ask Keisha or um, um, uh, uh, Casey Ballou. Sorry, I was like, cannabaloos, cannabaloos. I was like, that was her, her, her uh, business was just in my head. Uh, Casey, so if you guys have any uh, questions for either of these lovely ladies, um, feel free to send them to us at cannabiscloset420 at gmail.com. Um, I, uh, I, I don't want to end quite yet. You know, we have to do our sign off. So don't nobody leave because the sign off is the most important. But uh, let's see if I can pull this back up real quick. Um, oh. <laughs> do you want to play it one more time? <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I'll play that one more time. We do have uh, the um, event November 13th. Oh, yes. Um, Let's we'll talk about that. Let me pull that up real quick. Uh, la, 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 la. I had it up, but I don't know where it is. Um, oh, dude, Messenger messing me up. Okay. Um, you sent it to me. I did. And while we're here, we'll just say this is the Cannabis Closet with Santa <laughs> Queen and MJ. And we're just messing around with information we want to show you. Um, if you beat me to uh, loading the video, go for it. Um, <laughs> Hi. Um, I am almost I uh, there. With... Is it sharing my screen right now? Yeah, it is. Okay, here it is. The, I want to share something with y'all. Yeah, because they have you have a penis, but you know, men like they upset, they jealous of women, anyways, because their coochie fell out. Um, <laughs> yeah, what? see, everybody starts out as female, all humans start out as female, and then the chromosome kick in and your coochie fall out. That's why men have nipples, okay? And so, you guys are like, a, This is a fact, okay. and I've seen it in the encyclopedia, all right? <laughs> yeah, we all have little penises, and that's yours, just. Uh-huh. Your little penis. Yeah. Like I mean, that. if you ever look at a clitoris, look at a penis. That is nothing but a vagina that fell out. <laughs> so the bigger your the penis, the bigger your vagina was. Yeah, yeah. The testicles is the ovaries. The sac is the uterus. The shaft is the vaginal canal. And the tip is the clitoris. Your coochie fell out. <laughs> That's why some men act like bitches. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I just love, love her. I love Tiffany Haddish so much. Um, that clip will forever live rent free in my brain. Um, but uh, for real, this has been an amazing conversation. I'd love to continue it. We are going to continue it on Wednesday. Um, and if you're free, you're welcome to come back uh, anytime, honestly, because we were, y'all, we should have recorded the pre-show. We should have recorded the pre-show for real because <laughs> um, it was fantastic. Um, but hey, don't forget uh, to be nice to yourselves. Put your mask on before assisting others. Yes. Cultivate love. Uh, you deserve it. Um, always stay lifted. Stay lifted, everybody. Thanks for joining us. See you on Wednesday, 420 Mount Standard Time. We are going to have special guest Kevin Nixon to come on to talk to us about epilepsy awareness and cannabis use. And uh, we're going to do some follow up on this show as well. So join us on Wednesday on our platforms, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitch. And if you can't catch us live, check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts whenever uh, you get an opportunity. Love you guys. Stay lifted. We'll see you on Wednesday. Peace. Peace out.